Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Question that we've been asking throughout the series that we're in right now called Magnetic. The question is, who are you looking out for? And it's, it's really easy for us to slip into a mode where we're really looking out for us and not really anybody else. The only thing sometimes we're thinking about is us. And so in this series, we're trying to reset that. We're trying to wrap our mind around a new paradigm and a new idea, and that is that in this next season of life, we're going to look out for someone else um, also. It's not that you, you stop looking out for you and your family. Um, that's our, you know, that's natural and, and is to be expected, but that, that in the next season of life, um, we want to be about some other people and looking out for them as well. We know that we're supposed to be about more than just us. Jesus said as much, right, when he said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, you could shorten that to say, love them like you love you. And I, here's what I know about us. We love us some us, right? We, we think we're pretty special, and it's not too hard for us to love us. Um, it's not, an e- it's not a, the easiest command when Jesus comes along and says, hey, I want you to, want you to th- look at and think about and serve other people the way you would serve yourself. And um, so the question again, who are you looking out for? Now, let me just repeat this. I know I say this every week, but it bears repeating that if we're going to really do this, it means that we're going to have to change the way we've been wired because the way we're wired is we're wired for efficiency and convenience. And you, you start looking out for somebody else, um, it, it, it means that you've got to shed the blinders because many of us are going through life with the blinders on and we don't see anybody else. Um, dare I even say sometimes we don't want to see anybody else. And so it calls for us to shed these blinders um, because the blinders don't give us the ability to see things in other lanes. And I know the, the popular saying these days is to just stay in your lane, but uh, there are some people that are in other lanes that would invite us into their lane and say, if you want to help me, uh, I'll take it. So don't think for a second that this idea of serving other people is going to be convenient or it's going to be efficient. It's going to be neither of those. In fact, truth be told, for us to change like uh, we need to and to become more like Jesus, it means a complete rewiring of our heart and the way we're set up and the way we think so that we can faithfully, consistently, humbly serve those that are around us. I'll ask the question again, who are you looking out for? And we're at a point in the series where I hope you're starting to develop a name, somebody at work, somebody that you maybe you pass every day on the street, you know they don't have much. I don't know what it is. Somebody in the next cubicle, somebody that you, you know, carpool with or something, somebody that just needs you to help look after them. If you were to ask Tabitha who she was looking out for, she would have responded, I'm looking out for the widows in my congregation. Tabitha is a hero of the early Jesus movement. She lived in a town called Joppa, which was northwest of Israel. And Joppa was on the Mediterranean coast, which is something that I want you to keep in mind. And in Acts chapter 9, we read her story. So we're going to spend most of our time today in Acts chapter 9. There's a couple of things that I want to draw out of that text for us today. Uh, Acts chapter 9, I'm going to start in verse 36. And I, boy, I love to hear the pages turning. If you're new to us, um, almost every Sunday I will bring a, a, a message from Scripture. Um, I encourage you to bring your Bible and write in it and follow along. Um, sometimes we go so fast that it's hard for you to keep up, and, but we put everything on the screen for you so you can keep up. But it's good for you to have your Bible, really good for you to have your Bible to read along with us. It says in Joppa, verse 36, Acts 9, in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, 
And then in parenthesis there, it says, in Greek, her name is Dorcas. So, you know, if I was someone who had both of those names, I think I would probably gravitate to Tabitha too. Um, Imagine going through life named Dorcas. I went to Bible college with a girl named Dorcas. Um, She was always doing good and helping the poor. Now, I want to solidify that line in your minds. So would you read that last line with me on three? One, two, three. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Thank you. This is Tabitha, and she is foundational. She is a foundational stone to her congregation. She is loved. She is adored. And people have this incredible affection for her. And that is why it was so devastating when she got sick and died. Verse 37, about that time she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. The congregation that, that Tabitha was a part of was devastated at losing her. One of the, Jesus' original 12 disciples, Peter, was camped out about 10 miles away from Joppa in a town called Lydda. And when the people in Joppa found out that Peter was so close, they sent two guys from Joppa down to Lydda to ask if he might come back with them. They came and said, you know, we have an emergency here. We're heart sick. We're heartbroken. Can you please come back to Joppa with us and help us during this time of devastating loss? So Peter goes back with these two men. This is about a three-hour walk one way, and uh, they made the trek down to get Peter, and he walked back up with them the 10 miles. And when he gets to Joppa and he gets to this house, they've taken her to an upper room, to an upstairs room, and Peter starts to make his way up those stairs, and he can hear weeping coming from the room. Verse 39, Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken Upstairs to the room, all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. So I, as a pastor, I've experienced this from time to time. It's never fun. It's, um, you know, there's a lot of things about being a pastor that I really love. What I'm about to describe for you is not one of them. But there are times when I'm going to see a family that has either uh, lost someone really close to them or is about to. And on more than one occasion, on many occasions, I have been walking down the corridor of the hospital and I can hear the cries. You hear the grieving before you see the grieving. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, where you walk into a room and, and before you even walk into the room and before you even know who's in it, you can almost tell who's in it because you can hear them crying. And it's, it's, never, it's never fun. And so that's what Peter has going on. He's making his way up these stairs And the room is filled with these widows. We have no idea how many were in the room. Could have been six, could have been 20. We don't really know. But it says they were doing two things. It says that they were weeping. So you can imagine these older women, uh, puffy faces, puffy tears running down their face, um, you know, noses red, just um, really struggling emotionally at, at their loss. And it also says that they start to show Peter the clothing that she made for them while she was alive. So in a real, very real sense, this turns into kind of a, a show and tell for these ladies. They're one at a time walking up to Peter and, and they're saying something like, she made this for me. You know, another one walks up, she made this for me. And they want him to feel it. They want him to look at it. They want to convey to Peter just how special this woman was who has, has done this wonderful thing 
for them. And so one after another, it, it just come up, and, and I would just offer this by way of commentary. This is an extraordinary life that Tabitha lived. And what I want to talk about today is what Peter encounters when he walks up those stairs into that room. I want to talk today about the Tabitha factor. I want to talk about why these clothes mattered. Was this clothing more than clothing? And we're also going to talk about, from a functional standpoint, um, what is it that this woman did as we talk about the Tabitha factor? This is important. This is important for you as an individual because you are going to leave a legacy of one sort or another. That's just a fact. You might leave a legacy like Tabitha did of caring, loving, sacrificial, humble life, uh, a focused life on other people, and that's kind of the Tabitha factor. That's what Tabitha's life was about. You might leave a legacy um, of being self-centered and self-serving and self-focused, ego-driven, and all about yourself. And I think what happens is, for most of us, we're, we're not really Tabitha grade down here where we're just thinking about other people. We're not really completely self-centered and self-focused either. We find ourselves somewhere in the middle of that continuum and my hope is, is that as we discuss this in this series and, and today, is that you would be drawn to move a little closer to the Tabitha side of things. So this is important as for you as an individual, but more than that, um, much more than that, it's important for us as a congregation. Because the people that we become ends up radically affecting the people we become as a church, the Cross Lane Community Church. So before we go any further in the story, I want to expose to you three different models uh, of this, you know, of, of what it looks like to look out for somebody. Model one is somebody looks out for everybody. Think about that. Somebody looks out for everybody. Um, typically, that's what happens when a small church is looking for a pastor. They're looking for one guy to look out for everybody. Now, you may have not ever gone through a church hiring experience like me, um, so this may not be as funny to you as this is to me, but I, I, found, I looked extra hard to find this illustration to bring with me today just to give us a giggle. But this is the, the church looking for the perfect pastor, and this kind of goes in the form of a chain letter, okay? So the perfect pastor. The perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. Uh, 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 uh. Uh, uh. He condemns sin roundly but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight and is also the church janitor. You can tell this was written sometime back. The perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, and donates $30 a week to the church. <laughs> he is 29 years old and he has 40 years experience. Above all, he is handsome. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers and he spends most of his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. He makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office to be handy when needed. The perfect pastor always has time for church council and all of its committees. He never misses the meeting of any church organization and is always busy evangelizing the unchurched. The perfect pastor is always in the next church over. 
If your pastor does not measure up, simply send this notice to six other churches that are, t- that are tired of their pastor too. Then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the top of the list. If everyone cooperates in one week, you will receive 1,643 pastors. And then the last note on this, this little thing is, have faith in this letter. One church broke the chain and got its old pastor back in less than three months. So, so model one is somebody looks after everybody, and I'm just here to tell you, that model doesn't work. Model two is everybody looks out for everybody, and model two is really no more effective than model one because no one can be responsible for everybody, so everybody can't be responsible for everybody. There's just no way that's going to happen, but model three works, and that's what I want us to focus in on today. Model three is this. Everybody looks out for somebody. Everybody looks out for somebody. You can do that. I can do that. I love that. You don't have to be a Rhodes Scholar. You don't have to be a financial genius. You don't have to be an All-American athlete. You don't have to have a degree in psychology or sociology or counseling to make it your responsibility to look after somebody. And so everybody is looking out for somebody is powerful. Imagine a year from now or two years from now, somebody says, hey, do do you go to church somewhere? And you respond, yeah, I, I go to Cross Lane. And they say, well, Tell me about your church. I think one of the highest compliments you could pay the Cross Lane Community Church would be if, if what came out of your mouth next was, let me tell you about, man, he's back again. He was here for first service. Let me tell you about my church. Everybody is looking out for somebody. If we could latch on to this, this could become a very powerful thing. It shapes a culture. It shapes an organization. So Tabitha made these clothes. Peter is walking up the stairs to, to see Tabitha uh, and, and these widows, and he can hear the widows crying. Got an issue here. Hold on a minute. And as they are crying, he's walking up the steps, and he hears this. And as they come walking up to him, they're showing him all these clothes. And so I'm asking the question, why did the clothing matter? I told you earlier that Joppa was northeast of Jerusalem and that it was on the Mediterranean coastline. They do have winter in Israel. It's not um, quite as harsh as what we get uh, here in the Midwest, but it can get cold and the winds can whip off the water. And for them, clothing meant warmth. Just functionally speaking, a good well-made robe meant warmth to someone who lived on the financial fringe of that culture, someone who maybe couldn't afford to go buy a lot of stuff like that and, and maybe had some tattered things, and if they were lucky, they weren't threadbare. Um, back in the days of the Bible, if you were affluent and your husband died, perhaps you could make it. But if you were in the peasant class, and a bunch of people who were barely scraping by in Jesus' day, there wasn't a huge middle class. You, you either had some means and, and you did okay, or there were a ton of people who did not have a lot. And if you lost your husband, you relied on your sons who were adults, or maybe you had a brother that would take you in. But if you were not from the upper class and you lost your husband and you did not have any adult sons and you didn't have a brother, you could become very desperate very fast and you could starve, literally. What did it mean to these women? 
that Tabitha made these clothes for the women in Joppa. It meant warmth. A good robe, a good cloak could keep you warm during the cold months. What else did clothing mean? Aside from warmth, what do you think it would have meant? I think it also meant dignity. If you're in rags, you tend to feel ragged yourself. I wonder how it felt for these women when Tabitha rounded the corner with some uh, article of clothing that she had labored over and worked on and made for them to hand to them. Um, I think it probably elevated their self-esteem. Uh, ladies, you understand this. Uh, you know, ladies like to shop and they, they, they like to have new clothes. And, and when they have those new clothes, they like to wear them out. They look forward to it. They model them for each other. They, you know, they, the women pay very close attention to uh, another lady's outfit. And they'll say, oh, that, you know, is that new? I mean, I don't know how many t- times I've seen that happen in, in just everyday life where someone's wearing something and uh, another lady will comment on how pretty it is and where did you get it and I really like that and that color looks good on you. And, you know, all those things, ladies, isn't it true that all those things that get said go into making you feel better and you don't feel ragged and you don't feel run down and you do feel spruced up a little bit. Meanwhile, us guys just run around in jeans and T-shirts that the ladies hope don't have holes in them. That's pretty much us. But I think it meant dignity. What did it mean if someone's self-worth and dignity went up? If women felt beautiful again? So there's a functionality of clothing that they keep you warm, but in addition to that, new clothes can add dignity to your life if you exchange rags for new clothes. And thirdly, I think it meant hope. Because suddenly now, if you had no husband, if you had no sons and no brother, you can suddenly feel pretty alone in the world. And then Tabitha enters the picture and she starts to do something nice for you and and she makes something and hands it to you and and it's a gift. And and I think that maybe what that would do for these women is they, in their own environment, wherever they are, in the quiet stillness of their own, uh, you know, voice and hearing their own thoughts, they might say, you know, um, my situation isn't as hopeless as I thought it was. Somebody cares about my life. It gave them hope. I think clothing was about warmth. I think it was about dignity. I think it was about hope. And when Tabitha dies, these women came unglued. They're crying, they're weeping, they're at a loss. I want my funeral to be like that, by the way. Um, I've talked to people who say, when I die, I don't want there to be any crying. Not me, I want everybody, I want lots of tears, lots of crying. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm really, I'm kidding. But you see, here's the challenge. To get a funeral like that, you have to live a life like that. Tabitha lived the kind of life that was worth living and the kind of life that would make her missed when she was gone. To get a funeral like that, you have to leave that kind of legacy. So let's talk about what Tabitha actually did. Functionally, I want to break down for you and talk about what she actually did. What Tabitha did was extraordinary. What Tabitha did involved uncommon grace, and and it involved unbelievable compassion. But let's be clear on this. What Tabitha did was boring. It was boring. It doesn't say she bought the clothes. Uh, Some of you have helped out around here when someone has a need, and you've gone and spent your hard-earned money for clothes and brought them here, and I thank you. I, I can't even tell you how it touches me when you 
touch the life of somebody else like that, and, and it's just such a blessing. But it doesn't say that she bought clothes. Uh, the widows were showing Peter clothes that she actually made. This is before the Industrial Revolution. This is before the electric sewing machine. What Tabitha did day after day after day, Tabitha was sewing. Does that sound interesting to you? To just sew day after day after day for other people? We're talking about multiple widows and we're talking about multiple garments of clothing. Tabitha lived an extraordinary life, but Tabitha lived an extraordinary life by doing a very common, unextraordinary thing. She just did it. Over and over and over again, she just did it, which to me is very powerful. I, I want to, uh, the sermon's not real long this morning. We're going to beat the Baptist. You'll be glad to know. Beat the Baptist to the restaurants. That's a big deal. We've got to beat those Baptists. But I, I want to give you three words to consider this morning as we, as we think about Tabitha. First one I want to give you is what Tabitha did was unexceptional. Unexceptional. She lived an exceptional life, but functionally speaking, if you were to go by her house and she were to have her window open and you were to peek in, you would see her doing a very unexceptional thing. She would be sewing, just working on some clothes, maybe singing a tune to herself. It doesn't look exceptional. It doesn't look extraordinary. It looks very common. It looks very ordinary. And this is why so few of us We'll live exceptional lives because we're waiting for something great to do rather than devoting ourselves to doing something that is simple and common and good and just doing it over and over and over again. Often when we look at great lives, we look at people who save lives or you know, people who change lives in some magnificent way. And the problem with that is that you just are not presented many opportunities in life to, to save someone's life. I mean, unless you're a fireman or a policeman or an EMT, you don't get those opportunities. You know, an emergency room doctor, something like that. Um, the challenge is we want to live great lives, and so we're waiting on something great to do. And while we're waiting for this moment to get discovered and for everybody to know how great we are, we're waiting for our unique contribution to the world. And as we're waiting for greatness to find us, all of these opportunities to faithfully, humbly, consistently do something good go marching past us. And we miss them because they're small. And they're not great. They're not exceptional. They're common and they're ordinary. What Tabitha does is she sows every day after day after day. It's exceptional what she does, but it's unexceptional how she does it, really. It was ordinary and it was common, but it had an impact. Many of us will arrive at greatness not by doing great things, but by doing good things over and over and over again. We arrive at greatness through a lengthy corridor of goodness. My advice to you today, if you're waiting for your opportunity of greatness to come along, is that you might be ignoring the incredibly good opportunities to serve people that are around you every day. And you might be ignoring them because they're not great, because they're common. Tabitha devotes herself to doing something over and over and over again. It's an extraordinary life, but it's an extraordinary life doing some pretty unextraordinary things over and over again. 
And as I ask the question each week, who are you looking out for? I don't want you to ignore the people that are immediately around you. I don't want you to ignore the, the person in the cubicle next to you at work. I don't want you to ignore the person in the next office or in the next room or maybe the person in your small group. People who have to move, people who are getting ready to have babies, people who've gone through surgeries. Let's follow Jess for a moment. Jess is on the way to the home of a woman who just gave birth to a newborn. And the woman also is the mother of a toddler. And Jess has a cardboard box, and in that cardboard box is a a beautiful salad that she's made, and she's also famous for her broccoli cheddar soup, so she's made some of that, put it in a container with a lid on it, and she's transporting that stuff, and she stopped by the store, picked up some French bread, and she's going to take this to this woman's house. She gets out of her car, she marches up with her box, she knocks on the door, and when the door opens, it's a mother who looks like she hasn't slept in a week or two. And there's a screaming baby in the background, and there's a toddler that's making all kinds of noise. The house is a mess. And the, and the woman knows this woman needs some help. So she looks at the mother and the exasperation and complete exhaustion on her face, and she says, can I put this down in the kitchen? The mom says, yeah, that'd be fine. So as she does, she puts it down, and she says, you know what? Why don't you go lay down for a little bit? And why don't you just let me take the kids? I'll just sit here with them and try and see if I can't get them calmed down. And uh, when you wake up, there'll be something here for you to eat. I'll, I'll see to it that the kids have something, and we'll, you just go lay down. And so mom goes to lay down. Uh, pretty soon this woman has been able to corral these kids and, and bring a little sanity to the house. It's amazing what a new, calm person can do who's not so worked up and so tense and so... Um, you know, uptight, and she's got the baby asleep, puts the baby in the bassinet. She gets the little fella occupied in something, and then she starts looking around and notices, you know, pillows are kind of out of whack. There's afghans that need to be folded. There's some chairs that need to be straightened. Just, just little stuff, stuff that doesn't get done when you've got a toddler and a newborn. And she starts to do that stuff, and as she's washing dishes and kind of cleaning up in the kitchen, uh, the mother comes out of the bedroom, and as she walks in, she looks at the, the woman that brought the food, and she says, you, you'll never know. You have no idea the help you've been to me today. You have no idea what those few minutes of sleep just did for me. Um, I can't tell you what this means to me. You know, th- this isn't rocket science. We're not talking about doing something great or extraordinary. It's often something simple. It's often something that nobody else is thinking about doing. And one of the frustrations for me, um, and and I I preach this sermon to me before I preach this to anybody else, because I struggle with this. Um, I am not a thoughtful person. I I have to really work at thinking about the needs of other people and what they're going through and empathizing and recognizing just simple things like, you know what, it might be a big help if I just did X, whatever it is. And it's something that some of you are so good at. I envy you. I want to be like you. I, this is something that, that I, believe me, I preach this to me. But when it, when it, we're talking about just doing the simple thing over and over consistently to help someone to make a difference in their life. When it becomes not simply a random act of kindness, but it becomes a lifestyle of goodness, which takes us to the next word. The next word is consistent. Consistent. First word was unexceptional the second word is consistent that's what tabitha was 
It's not just what we do, it's what we do over and over and over again that often builds the legacy that is the Tabitha factor. You will have some great opportunities to jump in and help someone and then jump out. These are beautiful, and by all means, I would encourage you to do that. Jump in and jump out, you know, helping someone, that's awesome, but that is not the Tabitha factor. Um, I know that many of you have gone to Lighthouse Mission to, you know, fold clothes to get them ready or to serve meals or to do whatever they clean, whatever they need you to do, and that's noble, and I wouldn't at, at all discourage you from doing any of that. I think that that should happen. But that's not the Tabitha factor. The Tabitha factor is that she has locked into these widows, and she seems to be serving the same people in the same way for an extended period of time over and over again. You know, we talk a lot around here about the, the you are special cards that we have at the Welcome Center, and I encourage you to go do something nice for somebody or pay for their dinner and leave the card behind or something like that. And, and I want you to do that, but I just want you to understand that's not what we're talking about here. That's not the Tabitha factor. That's just kind of a surgical strike in and out, and I'm done. The Tabitha factor is consistently, over time, not a random act of kindness, doing these things of goodness over and over. There's a a word in verse 36 that I want you to see, and I want you to read it out loud with me. I think you'll know what it is when you see it. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. She was always doing good and helping the poor. It was a lifestyle. It's not just what we do, it's what we do over and over that can make the biggest difference in somebody else's life. Consistency. I read, um, I've read a lot of books by this guy that I'm going to talk about. His name is Jim Collins. He writes a lot of uh, business and leadership uh, kind of books. Um, He wrote Good to Great. He wrote Why the Mighty Fall. And the, the last one that he wrote was a book called Great by Choice. And in that book, Jim Collins says the signature of mediocrity is not willingness to change, not an unwillingness to change. The true signature of mediocrity is chronic inconsistency. The, The sad fact is that some of us are just too easily bored. If everything has to be new all the time, you might miss out on a great opportunity for the impact and influence that you could have in somebody's life. The Tabitha factor is doing something and doing it over and over again for a really long period of time. It's unexceptional, and it's consistent. And I'm just wondering, as you think about Tabitha, what other words might you apply to her? I mean, you know, a word like caring would come up, compassionate, loving. The final word I want us to focus on this morning is the word humble. She was unexceptional. She was consistent. She was humble. John Dixon wrote a book called Humilitas. It's all about humility. Um, I really believe the older I get, I think that that Christianity basically boils down to the pursuit of humility. I really think that's what it's about. I think it's about emptying yourself and thinking about other people. That's really what being magnetic is all about. It's about the pursuit of humility, and it will frustrate you. Um, You know, we can talk about getting deep all you want. You want to be deep? Empty yourself and give yourself away to other people. Um, John Dixon wrote a book called Humilitas, all about that, and this is what he said. Humility is the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. Sounds like Tabitha to me. 
Using your resources for the good of others and not just yourself. Dixon shortens that um, definition by saying this, a willingness to hold power in the service of others. I love that. Humility is not the absence of power. Humility is not weakness. It is not the absence of strength. It is having strength, having power, having influence, and using it for other people, not just for you. You wonder if Tabitha had means. You say, Brett, what are you talking about? Well, she had leisure time to sew for other people. She apparently had the financial leverage to go buy the materials that she needed, and yet she uses her status in the service of other people. I think Tabitha is extremely humble. You know, when you think about humility and how, you know, this idea that can I be more humble, it often turns into this vortex where our thoughts, in, in our thoughts we're just asking, am I more humble today than I was yesterday or last year? And am I not humble because I'm thinking about being humble? I've, I've heard that expression. Um, if you think you're humble, you're probably not. Have you ever heard that? If you think you're humble, you're probably not. So rather than thinking about being humble, how about this question? How can I increasingly use my abilities and my time and my money to serve other people? How can I begin to act humbly? Forget about thinking about being humble. And, and just focus in, hone in on your actions. That is the Tabitha factor. She has resources. She's using those resources to the benefit of other people. She was unexceptional. She was consistent. She was humble. I don't know about you, but I, I want to be like that. I want to live a life that's worth grieving. You know, I want to live a life that when you're done, people are really sorry that you're gone. We ask the question, around here all the time. What would, what, what would the city think if the Cross Lane Community Church ceased to exist? Would it matter? We, we, want, we want it to matter. We want that if we didn't exist, we want our community to go, man, I don't know what I would do if that church wasn't there. Peter shows up after Tabitha's death. Everybody's weeping. They're showing him their clothes that Tabitha made. And then I want you to look at verse 40. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, and I love this, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. It's about at that point that somebody hears me read that and they go, yeah, well, apparently this is Bible land where people just jump up after they die and run around. I don't know how many times I've seen somebody that's dead and they they rise from the dead. Um, Actually, it happens in seven places in the entire Bible where someone is raised. And anytime you see it, it's usually not about the dead person. It's usually about the grief and the loss of the people who've been left behind. That's usually what it's about. It's rare, less than a handful of times that you read this in the Bible, but Tabitha is the kind of person that if she's gone, you desperately want her back. So I'll ask it again as I close. Who are you looking out for? And what I want for us here at Cross Lane is that we would be a church, that it would be said of us, man, there's not another church like that. They really, really look out for people. That's 
what I think God wants from us. Let's, uh, let's pray together. God, we really do want to be the kind of church that shines the right kind of light on who you are and what you're about. The problem with that is we're human. And the problem with that is we're selfish by nature. We think about ourselves a lot. Uh, sometimes, if we're totally honest, we would have to confess that we, th- we think only about ourselves. And for us to do anything different than that, it would require that we uh, rewire our heart, that we would rewire the way we go about life, and that we would begin to see things differently. We would have our eyes opened to the needs around us, simple things that we could do consistently over and over to just be a humble servant of Christ. God, it strikes me that if that's ever going to happen, the Holy Spirit will have to be awakened in us to a point where we are, we're hearing his voice and he's leading us to these kind of things. We simply cannot do this without your help. So Father, I pray over this congregation that as we go out this week, that the Tabitha factor is known and associated with this church. That you would get the glory because people would say, you know what, people that do go to church and do serve Christ actually look out and care for other people. Father, you went to unbelievable lengths to buy us back and to claim us as your own. We are so thankful. Lord, we cannot take one step, we cannot do one thing, even in your name, unless you are with us and helping us. So we give you thanks in advance for the way you're going to work through us to be an example and to show the Tabitha factor to the people in this uh, community. Father, we love you. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.